Good morning. Good to see all of you. During the announcements, we ran a Jesus loves you hearing test. If Jesus loved you, you heard a very loud sound. Uh, if you didn't hear that, well, sorry to mention that to you, but uh, not sure what that was all about. But I did notice that it was right when they let the lectern sit right here, you know, and then power just came out. You hear that? Anyway, I'm trying to change things around so it's more cool for me. All right. Anyway, uh, a couple quick things before we dive into God's Word. Uh, a couple a couple announcements. One is I wanted to thank all of you that went to the Kings game with me. Uh, yes, they lost, but we knew that before we went into it. Um, but we still cheered like a ton every time they made a basket that didn't count. We were constantly uh, uh, watching just amazing athleticism. We actually had a super fun time. We were talking and laughing and joking, and and uh, it was such a, a fun time. Uh, if you ever get a chance to do that with us, some of you were so kind that you actually purchased even the tickets and said, um, I honestly, I just want to support E49, which was the group that was raising money for homelessness and to fight uh, human trafficking. You actually purchased the tickets and gave them away to somebody else. All that, your generosity was incredible. And so I just want to thank you for for all of that. Um, And if you did not go, I need to tell you one thing that you missed. Now, let me me explain the story here. Um, For a little over a year, I've been wearing this watch as a testament to me winning... Last year at the Kings game, a three-point competition against another pastor, which I've been trying to hold over his head for a year as being the mighty victor. However, that that one-win streak came to a grinding halt this last Wednesday, and, and I failed in particular fashion. So I would like to tell you this story. Here's what happened. Uh, I, I go to the game, and they, they said, Hey, Lance, would you be willing to do an obstacle course in the third quarter? And, of course, I said, Yes, I'm excellent at obstacle courses. I didn't even know what that meant. I, it was like American Ninja Warrior. I didn't know what we were doing. So they said, uh, they said, all right, well, you're going to go up against another pastor. I didn't know who that was going to be. Found out that it was Cody uh, from Jesus Culture. We used to be friends. You understand what I'm saying? Nice guy. Anyway, so... Um, so Cody and I get called down there. And so we go down to the floor and we're off on the little side wing and the guy comes out and says, let me draw you a map. You know what you're doing? No, we don't know what we're doing. So he draws a map. He goes, all right, so you're going to dribble the ball. First of all, did not know dribbling the ball was going to be part of this. Anyway, he said, you're going to dribble the ball through an obstacle course. You dribble around these pylons, go up to this little mannequin that's standing like this. I want you to go and make some move. You got to do a big move, right? And get around that. Then you got to go and do a layup. Then when you come back, get your ball. And as you run back, the cheerleaders will be holding three hula hoops that you have to crawl through while dribbling the ball. <laughs> then you got to make a layup. All right, so I, I don't usually see visions, but I saw the word doom right over the, the floor there. It was amazing. Anyway, um, 
it was prophetic. So I ended up, we, uh, here's a couple of things you may not know. On the floor, they have all the speakers turned away from you. I did not know that. So basically it's so all that loud music and all the crazy stuff that goes on. You can't really hear that on the floor to distract the players. So you can't hear much of anything. How do I know that? Well, I missed two things. Number one, the description on what we're playing for. Had no idea what we were playing for. I just was told to go do this. Second of all, I missed the word go. (laughs) So apparently they said go and Cody takes off and he's had to look at me like, Dude, you gotta run, right? So if your opponent's trying to help you out, you're pretty well handicapped in a lot of ways. So I, I then take off dribbling, which, uh, apparently I haven't done this a lot. So I'm dribbling out after and barely controlling the ball. I then get into my groove. I come and hit that one thing. I do this great spin move. It was awesome, right? And so I do this spin move. And as I go up to the layup, because Jesus loves me, Cody missed his first layup and in camaraderie I missed mine because I believe in regional unity I believe and I was like why would I make it if he hasn't made it so I missed mine and then we both got it back he made his he takes off running I make mine my ball was slower whatever it doesn't matter So then I turn to go back and he's already dribbling through the hoops. Now I need to let you know, I don't know how tall Cody is, but I am quite certain I'm 6'3". And these are children's size hula hoops. So whatever's going to happen is not going to be pretty. So I decide either I can just simply lose or I can lose with flair, right? Because if you're not going to win, you might as well entertain. Amen? So I go running with a full head of steam at these young cheerleaders holding hula hoops. And I come running up to them and I'm supposed to dribble. Well, that was never going to happen. So I immediately lose control of the ball. It rolls away from me, but I still have to get through the hula hoops. So the first one, I don't know if you've ever seen like super tall guy go through little baby hula hoop thing. It was so awkward, but I'm running really fast. I realize I'm not going to make it through the next two so I decide there's a new plan the new plan is dive so I project myself sideways through there and do a shoulder roll out of it right and and once again because Jesus loves me there's my ball waiting for me when I get done or somebody could have put it there I don't know I then pick up the ball and I run and I finish my layup And I was like, yeah, but problem is, is that Cody's already in a lounge chair having drinks. And I mean, he's already won so far ahead of me. It was a dismal defeat. And if you go, Lance, you're exaggerating. Actually not. Let's take a look at the clip. Now, if if you consistently... If you watch it long enough, you will notice the horror on the cheerleader's face of, oh my gosh, what's happening right now? And I have to give props to the last one. She held on to the hula hoop so much that it stretched it all the way out, which I then ended up with my hand and I hurled it at Cody at the end of the thing, uh, maybe out of sheer anger. Anyway... 
So not only did I let myself down and I shame my family, I shamed Bridgeway. And I just need to let you know that there was no victory this year. But I had fun. Amen? All right. Uh, what does that have to do with Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, amen. You still love me. But yes, yes. Uh, I, I missed took that the game was called Biggest Loser. Anyway, um, the, I, 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 I want to thank you, everyone that was there with me and having fun and, and joking around the way that you were generous. Uh, we just shut down the registry um, that you all had given to over $50,000 in terms of just encouraging stuff, ready for the grand opening. So can we just thank all those that contributed to that? Um, and, and we keep talking all morning about the generosity of all of you. I want to talk for a second just about all of you that signed up to help out at the grand opening and Easter service. I told you this year it's going to be a working Easter for us as a family. We only mentioned it a few times and 350 of you signed up and said, I'm ready to go. We don't even need more volunteers on top of that because you were so generous and responsive. So thank you, all you volunteers. Um, I, I always want you to know that whatever you give or contribute or whatever you're a part of here at the church, we don't take it for granted. We know that we are largely a volunteer-run organism. We are a family business. We are, if we just leave it up to the paid position, we don't have enough of them on staff to get a lot of stuff done. So when you come and join us, it makes all the difference in the world because we have to do this all together or not at all. So thank you for your kindness. Let's go ahead and transition out. Can you take out your Bibles and your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door? And we can begin. We are in part 10 of our Purposeful Christianity series through the book of Colossians, line by line. And I entitled today's message, A Drastic Change. And I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank here in a moment. But I need to remind you of the theme that we have been carrying through the book of Colossians and through this entire series. And that is this. You're about to hear Paul mention things we need to root out of our lives. Whenever you engage with lists of things to correct, you can either hear it through the lens of conviction of the Heavenly Father that wants to set you free, or you can hear it through the condemnation of, oh, that's another thing God's disappointed in me at. I need us to know that when we here at Bridgeway talk about change... We mean for freedom. We mean inside out transformation, not mere sin management and trying to change the outside. We mean identity based change, meaning that you are growing up into who God made you, how God already designed you. You are now just living it out. It's a lot more about letting go than constantly fighting. But sometimes it does require effort and hard work. Change is hard. Sometimes change just has to begin with discipline. For example, if the Lord is consistently saying to you, you know that activity right there is killing you. Sometimes there just needs to be hard work to be able to tell ourselves no more. I think that we need to be willing to partner with the Lord that He said He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That He's equipped us with more than enough. 
to be free. We need to partner with Him in that. And there are certain things that we need to root out and let go of and, and, and rid our lives of. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But every time we talk about these, please hear them through the lens of a loving Heavenly Father that just wants the best for you. Not in kind of a cliche way, in an actual way. And we're going to be talking about what that means. We are in the year of purpose. We want to be freed to live our purpose. Therefore, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. How we live matters. How we live matters. I will try to tell you every time we're together that Christianity is not merely intellectualism, academia, gathering of information, but it is a lifestyle. It is a relationship. And what that means is that the Bible says if we are to be Christians, then we are to walk like Jesus walked. That's what we're going to talk about today. So would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. And that is going to be approximately page 984, all right? So if you want to turn there, that'll make it a little bit easier. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 10 is what we're going to be covering today. So let's begin. Paul says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, meaning you died with Him symbolically in the cross, what is pictured in baptism. You died to yourself and became alive to Him. As you were born again, as you have been converted and transformed, as the light came on in you, as you resurrected into new life with Jesus, then you got to seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Why do they mention so often in the Bible about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God? Um, there's really two reasons. The first one is the sitting down is important. Because in the ancient world, the seatedness on a throne or the seatedness in a conversation or a narrative story meant the work was done. The reason why that matters to us is that Jesus came to rescue and save His people. If He sat down, that means it's done. It means everything that was necessary to do for you is completed. So He's sitting. The second thing is He's at the right hand of the Father, which means He is the member of the Godhead currently casting out authority and direction. Just as the Holy Spirit is the member of the Godhead that is personally interacting with the church in empowerment and movement. Each member of the Trinity has different roles and functions, and Jesus is sitting there as the authority to be able to say that what He did for us is effective and powerful in our lives. He said, since you have been raised with Christ, we got to get our eyes off just this and begin to think about something bigger. we got to get our heads back up into heaven. Verse 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I struggle in this area. You would probably not guess that because of what I do for a living. But I think a lot, far too much, about things of this world. 
I think about stuff that doesn't matter all the time. Um, yes, a lot, you know, my meetings and everything I do every day and every day I have some portion of my day that's dedicated to thinking higher and thinking about the Lord. But a lot of my normal thought life still cares way too much about what's going on here. Worrying about what people think, worrying about what's next, worrying about future stuff that ultimately in heaven doesn't matter. And Paul said, we have to live in light that eternity's legit. We have to live in light of the cross. We have to realize that if it's not stressing heaven out, it shouldn't stress us out. If it's not ultimately going to end up there, then we don't need to worry about it here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you may have memorized this passage I'm about to read. I ended up memorizing it as a kid in King James. So I couldn't even find it when I was trying to search it out on the ESV. doesn't sound anything the same because there's no whatsoever or whosoever's. So I'm going to read it to you here in ESV. This is how Paul said it another way. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think in one level, it just means, can we please think about something more noble than stuff that's going to burn? Can we lift up our sights a little higher than simply world stuff, earthly stuff, 401k, that kind of stuff? You know what I'm talking about? Is there a way that we can live deeper? When Peter had his eyes on the waves, when you only have your eyes on the world, man, it feels pretty overwhelming and it feels like you're going to sink. But if you lift your eyes up and Jesus is above the water, you can walk on it with him. And I think that there's a degree to where we need to lift our eyes. I think that what he's saying is we've got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what the Bible says. It says that you don't just get to let your mind wander wherever it wants. You actually have to bring it back in and go, no, I'm not thinking about that right now. I need to think higher. No, that is not befitting me. We're going higher. No, I'm not going to allow that challenge to completely derail my Christianity. It's bigger than that. No, I'm not going to allow this worry to dominate my spirit because my God is bigger. You understand what I'm saying? Is that, is that we have to be able to tell our minds where they can and cannot go. And we keep them lifted up and we start going, God, I know you're bigger than this. I know that I'm made for more than this. And I don't want to just live a temporal existence. I want to live something more. Y'all, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Because as much, it's like, it's like I part out my mind, I divide it in half, and half of it is on godly things and half of it is on earthly things. And I don't want to live like that. Paul said, this all makes sense, verse 3, for you have died. The old you, the past you, the, the way that you used to live without Jesus, that's gone. We're not doing that anymore. There's got to be a difference. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What that means, I found out in my commentary research that there was a Greek phrase that said, when you died, you were hidden in the earth. Paul said, no, that's not true for you. As a Christian, when you died to yourself, when you died to this world, when you died to your sins, 
Jesus wrapped Himself around you and you are hidden in Him. He is your security. He is your resource. He is your power. He is your life. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, when He comes back again, when He shows up in glory and the whole world begins to realize, oh, that was more real than anything we've been living, right? Then you will also appear with Him in glory. Suddenly the whole rest of the world is going to go, oh, that's why you did that. Oh, I just thought you were a psycho. Then they realize you're a Christian. Praise the Lord. Real quick, show of hands, how many of you either accepted the Lord Jesus or really took it on and and owned it after the age of 15? Raise your hands. After the age of 15. Okay, so a, a good portion of you, if not half the majority... You will tie in much more into what I'm about to share. The rest of you are in my category. So once again, you know my story. By the time I went forward to receive Jesus Christ at the altar at six, I thought I was late. And so for me, it was kind of like, oh, I've been serving the Lord for six years. I might as well go up there. So for me, I've always had this understanding. And so whenever the Bible gets back into this, you know how you used to be. I was like, well, I used to watch cartoons. I still watch cartoons. (laughs) There's not a lot of difference there. And so that's very hard for me to relate to. But there are a bunch of you that you do remember what it was like to not have Jesus in your conscious thoughts. You knew what it was like to be all about you. In my world, Jesus was baked in where I was always told that it was all about Him. And that's how I centered my life. Now, don't get me wrong, the older I get, the more I try to force a selfish worldview right into my heart, unfortunately. I wish I could have just kept that childlike faith that says that Jesus is everything. It's all about Him. But for those of you that know the difference, when the Bible starts mentioning, hey guys, can we let our past be our past? Can we not just live it anymore? What were you saved from and why if you're just going to walk right back to it? Why did you need to be freed from anything if you simply want to go back and engage with it? It doesn't make any sense. So for those of you, you'll tie into this a little bit more. Here's here's what he said. I think it applies to every one of us. I just think some of us will be able to understand a little more. Here's what he said. He gives two lists. The first list is about distorted sexuality. The second list is about a lack of love and the presence of hate. Apparently, these were two issues in the Colossian church. The first list, he starts out with specifics, a very specific sin, and then has them keep backing up to see what's behind it all. On the second list, he reverses the order. And he starts out with a big motivating factor and narrows it down and shows you where it can lead if you don't control it. So here are the lists. Once again, you can either hear them through the voice of conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, my son, my daughter, I need you to let this go for your health. Or you can hear it through the spirit of condemnation from the enemy, which says, man, you're blowing it there too, right? Be careful on what voice you're listening to. Here's what he says. Put to death. That means kill. It's very clear. It's very blunt. It's very severe. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
That whatever is anti-God, whatever is not like He wants it, whatever is a way that harms you, you got to get rid of that stuff. He said, let me give you an example. Sexual immorality. That word porneia in Greek originally had a very specific definition. It meant hooking up with a prostitute. It was not a general, it was very, very narrow. But over time, what had happened was they were using the term and it became known for any type of sexuality that is not authorized by God. That's kind of how it became in the, in the Christian church. So he said, let's talk very specifically, guys. This is an issue. Any sex outside of what God says is okay, I need you to shut it down. Because the reason you're wrestling with it is let's take a step back. Actually, what's going on in you is impurity. There is a willingness to have that which doesn't matter in your heart. There's a desire for uncleanness. There's a desire to play in the mud. And that's ultimately how we got here. Because if you take a step back, you realize that your passions aren't aligned. You're super focused and driven on trying to feed yourself and letting your body go crazy. There's no self-control there. Whatever comes into your head, you just go ahead and carry out. And the reason why your head is messed up is because you're lusting after the wrong stuff. Lust means intense desire. There's stuff you can lust for that's awesome, and there's stuff that you can lust for that's messed up. And you keep going that other route, and you're craving so badly, you're shoving everything into your heart, trying to consume everyone around you and the reason why that's a problem is ultimately it's because of covetousness which is an idolatry now what is covetousness you know it talks about in the ten commandments thou shalt not covet blah 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 right what is covetousness one of the coolest greek words ever it's a it's in my opinion it's a greek word where two of them mush together need more that's the word He said, you know, the real problem here is that you always need more. More of what? Everything. How much sex is enough? More. How much money is enough? More. How much attention is enough? More. How much affirmation is enough? More. Do you understand what I'm saying? How much fame is enough? More. We could play this game with everything. Why are we so empty and craving so badly that we can get duped by the enemy around every corner. Because here's, I feel like the Lord's looking at us and going, can we please be practical about this? I'm pouring into you all of my love. I did the ultimate act of love for you. I sent my one and only son to die for your sins that you might be with me forever. Jesus goes, man, I'm the one that signed up for that. I came in to try to show you my love is so extreme that I'll die for you. I never want you to be hurt. I'll protect you. And then the Holy Spirit says, I love you so much. I'm willing, even in your mess and process, I'll come live inside of you and go everywhere you go. He said, with that kind of love, why are you still so needy for everyone else's attention? If I give you that type of grace, why are you still so angry? If I give you that type of forgiveness, why can't you extend that out to anybody else? If I have given you the affirmation that you have a purpose, that you have meaning, why are you constantly spending your time killing yourself to be more important? 
I think it's a fair question. He said, really, the problem that it all comes down to is idolatry. You're worshiping the wrong thing. You're putting the wrong person in the throne. It's supposed to be all about Jesus, but somehow you made it all about you. As long as you're on the throne, you need to meet all your needs because you meet the needs of the king. But what if you're not the king? What if I'm not the king and Jesus is? Then all of a sudden we need to be focused on meeting his needs. What are his needs? They're very different. Thankfully, his needs are ultimately best for you too. So that's cool. While we're talking about this, well, let, let me, I'll, I'll say that in one second. Look at verse 6. Whether or not you're hearing this through condemnation or conviction will all depend on how you read this next line. What's the next line? He said, on account of these, these sins, the sexual immorality stuff, the wrath of God is coming. How did you hear that? Did you hear that of, oh great, I'm so messed up, God's going to throw a fireball at my head. Is that what you heard? Because that's not what he said. But if you're hearing it through condemnation, that's what you're going to read. Here's actually what he said. Hey kids, the whole reason God's going to burn up this world is to get rid of stuff like this. So why in the world would you want to contribute into that? That's all the stuff he's getting rid of. You don't want stuff he's getting rid of. You want the good stuff, the stuff that lasts. What I want to do is redefine for a moment uh, sin. And, and, and probably I'm preaching more to me than you is that we still seem to have this old school thought where Sin is fun. Righteousness is boring. God is holding you back. Sin is freedom. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, we tend to still have this and you go, well, I don't really think that way. Then why are you sinning? Of course you do. But it's not right. It's not accurate because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all good gifts come from our Father above. Which means if it was legitimately good, God would have suggested it in the first place. The only reason He doesn't want you to do it is you're hurting yourself or you're hurting somebody else. We keep looking at God like, oh, He's running at us with a knife. And he's going, I gotta cut something out of your life. And we're all freaked out. You're gonna take something that's me and I'm gonna be less than me and, and you're gonna hurt me and ruin everything. But what if what's in his hand is a scalpel? What if he's a surgeon and you have a cancerous tumor that needs to be removed? You're right. He's taking something that is truly you. It's just not the good part of you. You don't want that in you. You understand what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, those renegade cells that have created that cancer are trying to convince all the cells around it to join them. That's what's called the metastasizing, the growing of that tumor. And God is coming at you and saying, my daughter, my son, that's killing you. I need to get it out. Is it going to be a surgery? Yeah. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yeah. But all I'm trying to do is open up new room of freedom and health. And, and it seems like we're constantly thinking, I need you to maybe jump back into a 15-year-old mindset. Because really, no matter how old we are, we never really get beyond 15. Well, at least for dudes. Okay, so you can do this pretty easily. So let's get back into a 15-year-old mindset. Sometimes there's this longing of going, I wish I had freedom. 
I wish I had the freedom to go drink with my friends. I wish I had the freedom to go party with my friends because on TV and in the movies, that always looks like the fun thing to do. And, and my friends, that's where the laughter happens. And that's where I just wish as a Christian, I feel kind of held down. I wish I had the freedom to go do that. Here's the problem with that. Let's zoom ahead down the road. Let's say you use that freedom and it got out of control and now you're an alcoholic. And now you can't go down that neighborhood. You can't go on that street. You can't even go shopping by yourself in the grocery store because you're always going to end up over in the liquor aisle. You can't hang out and relax at the family barbecue because there's beer around and it's calling your name. And you're telling me that's freedom? As a matter of fact, what God's trying to do is carve out more space for you to have freedom. He wants you to have the freedom in your life to walk where you want to walk, do what you want to do, when you want to do it, without any tether. And so he's going, listen, if it was a great idea, if it was truly that the laughter and fun was from the destruction of your body, I would have authorized it. That's actually not the fun part. The fun parts, I'm trying to show you how to have that without the destructive parts. I would like to pull out the poison and give you the good stuff, but you're not listening to me. You want it quicker and faster and easier, and therefore you're going to run headlong into a lesser option. I'm trying to give you better. He said the reason why we got to look at all this stuff, is we're different people. We're Christians. We've been transformed. Look at verse 7. In these you also once walked when you were living in them, meaning your old life, but now you also got to put away this stuff. The first one was sexual immorality. you got to kill that. This stuff, you got to put it away from you. And he starts super general and starts getting very specific. Here's what he said they were wrestling with, and maybe you, like me, will relate to this. He said, there's two types of anger that are talked about in uh, Greek. One is orge, the other one is thumos. Orge is a deep-seated one. Let me read the definition to you. A deep, resentful bitterness, smoldering anger, long-lasting ingrained in us slow burning and we nurse it every day he said if you want to talk about the real reason why you're kind of nasty in your spirit let's start here underneath the ground in your heart is an unresolved hurt and a pain and you have never fixed it and it is creating so much pressure in you it's like a volcano And if you don't take care of that, thumos is going to happen. Thumos is the explosion and then it calms down. And the explosion and then it calms down. You all know what a geyser is, right? A geyser, a natural geyser, is a spouting of water that explodes out of the ground. Why is it doing that? Because underneath pressure is building up. He said, that's what's going on with you. Your heart's messed up towards other people. You talk about other people wrong because deep down you never resolve this and there's this underground anger and it's exploding out at times. And then when it goes away, you go, oh, I I dealt with it. No, you didn't. That's why it's going to come up again. 
And then it's going to come up again. And then it's going to come up again because we still have that orgate deep down inside of us. And if you don't take care of that and you don't take care of the thumos, we're going to end up in malice. You know what malice is? Best definition ever. You're mad when they're happy and you're happy when they're sad. What does it mean? It's that whole thing where you're so agitated at them that when anything goes good in their life and they post it on Facebook, you want to vomit. (laughs) You all know what I'm talking about? Oh, you and your little kids. Did you win another award? Did you? Did you? Oh, that's good for you. But if something goes tragic in their life, on the surface you go, hmm. And inside you're like, it's about time. You all see what malice is? If you don't deal with the anger, you start wishing the worst on other people. And then if you don't control that, it's going to come out in slander. Slander is talking specifically about them to other people. Why are you talking about them? Because here's what's going to happen if you do. You're going to slime the person you just talked to. They used to think about that person in a neutral way. You change that. Now, every time they think about that person, they add in your definition, and now it's skewed to a negative way. And that's exactly what you wanted them to do. That's why you said it. You were trying to alter and make sure everybody else knew the real them. What you ended up doing was damaging all kinds of people. If we do not watch the slander, we're going to end up in just general obscene talk. What does that mean? It could mean foul language. I don't think it does. I think in context it means then you're just one of those people that are negative about everybody. Critical about everybody. Everybody's got a problem. Everybody's a jerk. Everybody causes you issues, right? If you're a generally negative person, you might want to look at this and go back. Figure out where it's coming from. He said, y'all, we need to put that stuff away because that's not for you. Now, a number of years ago, I really didn't struggle with a lot of this, but I sure do today. And it's so hard, you guys. I mean, I could sit there like you, right? I mean, we can justify why we're mad. We can justify the, the wrong things that have happened to us. And, and we'd probably be very convincing and the rest of us would go, you're right. You're right. They hurt you. They were wrong. But here's the problem. The whole time, I'm hanging onto it and it's killing me. Not them. And and I don't know how many of you are in that boat with me where you just go, wow, Lord, why can't I just be happy for them? Hmm. He finishes out with a kind of a weird line. Look at verse 9. Don't lie to each other. Now, here's how I take that. Maybe I'm taking it out of context, but it's kind of how I read it. He said, don't lie to each other. You go, well, man, at Bridgeway, shoot, I don't know enough people to lie to them. <laughs> I mean, I sit next to them at church, but I don't know them well enough. I'm not trying to lie to them. Yeah, you are. Here's why. Let me remind you what lying means. It means presenting something that's not true. So how are you presenting yourself? 
because if it's not accurate, it's a lie. Uh, if you're walking around and presenting like everything's cool and you got everything covered and everything's handled and everything's nailed down and you really don't, you're a liar. If you are constantly looking at somebody else and presenting like they are less than you, you're a liar. That what he's trying to say, in my opinion, is guys, if we're ever going to get any of this stuff rooted out of our lives, if we're ever going to get healthy, we got to do it as a family. And we will never do that unless we have a trusting atmosphere. And I don't know what to do to trust you if you're constantly living a lie in front of me. I don't know whether or not you're that person or someone else. I don't know who's going to show up. Is it the person that's in your private life? Is it someone? Is it you at home? Is it you at church? You come in, everything's cool. What if you're not really that person? And I open up my heart to you and you're not trustworthy and you hurt me again. Like if we're ever going to get anywhere, can we just be who we are? And that's why in my ministry here, I've always tried to create an environment that says to everyone, I want to put you all on notice, church is messy because sanctification is a process. If you come to, amen, you come to me and you would say things like, hey man, those people, they really got sin in their lives. I'm like, I know. And so do you. Man, if I, if I shut the door to anybody that had sin going on in their lives, I can't get in. You understand what I'm saying? And so what I'm saying is that if we could just be a little bit more open, now do we just need to be a mess all the time? No. Sometimes you have to present the best of the real you, right? I mean, you're in a public setting. You're not there to just constantly fall apart on everybody. What I'm trying to say is please don't live a lie. And that way, if we can all look at each other and go, man, you're totally messed up and I'm totally messed up. Maybe we should talk about it. And then we start holding each other and lifting each other up. And that I think is a much healthier church as opposed to just simply trying to be sin police and going, well, you're messed up. Because if we start doing that, everyone will go underground because you can't root out sin by shame. So then everyone goes underground. Then you got a bunch of sinners who will never talk about it. That's a drag. I don't want to live in that world. He said, the reason why we can change is you are, verse 9, seeing that you've already put off the old self with its practices. You changed when you got saved. You put on a new self. You're a new creation. All things have become new for you. But yeah, you're being renewed continually as you grow every day in knowledge and understanding of who created you. In one sense, man, you're a new person. In the other sense, you're getting more shiny every day. It's a process. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? I want us to dream of what it would look like to be free from garbage. What if we were allowed the past to be the past? What if we were cut off from that and we didn't have to worry about where we went? What if we didn't have to worry about the chains on our wrists? What if we didn't have to worry about the bad ingrained habits that we reinforce every day? What if we had freedom? What if sin had no hold on us? What a glorious way to live. Because that's what our Heavenly Father's going for. Freedom. Uh, how many of you remember uh, Cy Rogers? 
Cy Rogers came, yeah, it came a number of years ago. And if you've seen him once, you'll never forget him, I will tell you that. Cy, um, he speaks a lot to the LGBTQ community. And he said something that I'll never forget. It really mattered to me. He said, God offers us better bread. And what he meant was bread is a staple in many cultures. It's kind of the essence of what is most important. And sin, the problem with sin is that it's not good enough is that God says, stop settling for worse, poison, toxic bread. I want to give you better bread. And, and, and what, the, what I'm hinting at is, will there be a day when we mature enough to change our appetites where it's not that we're fighting against sin, it's that we're filled up with better bread so we can walk away from it. Amen. That we can look back at sin and go, you got nothing for me. I'm full. My stomach already has all that I need. I'm not hungry right now. And remember, the way to root that stuff out is get full on healthy stuff so that you're not craving so much for the treats. Because I think that we like our treats way too much. Hmm. Now this is one of those sermons where everybody needs to come forward. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) If you're wondering, like, man, I, I really feel convicted. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's probably all of us. If you're not convicted, you're probably asleep. Uh, the altar is open to you, and that's why the prayer team came. I, I would hate for you to go home carrying something that you don't need to carry anymore. We're going to pray that this altar is anointed for breakthrough. That as they pray for you, God is removing things empowering you, refreshing you, and cleansing you. Um, But I also am just going to pray in general because not all of you are able to stay. I get it. And pray through things. So as you leave, I want you to be blessed and take this stuff to heart. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, this weekend I've been reflecting on the fact that because you're so high and lifted up, we keep matching ourselves with you and saying I'm never going to be that so it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. And then we're constantly finding ourselves sad and crying and frustrated. And we refuse to view you as the good heavenly father you are that is saying, my child, I want you more free. I want you to be able to run faster, so I need you to take off that heavy weight. I need you to walk where you want to walk, so I need to remove those chains off your feet. I want you to put your hands to do whatever I've created you to do without worry. That's why I need the chains off your wrists. And don't you dare let the enemy put you in any cages because you were built to fly. And so, Father, today in this environment, Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us, setting us free? changing our appetites, filling us full of what is good so we are not always so hungry. Lord, may we be connected to You as a source so that we're not always having to scramble, but that it's a continual lifestyle and a mindset. So right now, Holy Spirit, would You break those chains in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.